0: Hi, I'm Kate. And I'm Liz. And we host the Mom Deconstructed podcast. We interview moms to find out the real story of their mothering journey. Motherhood is the most difficult job there is, but unless we allow ourselves to create community and accept the help of others, it can be a very lonely endeavor. Let's get beyond the superficial, delve into the dreams that inspire us, the struggles that test us, and the conversations that connect us. You can listen to Mom Deconstructed anywhere you get your podcasts. From the Parents on Demand Network and at momdeconstructed.com.
1: Excited for today. I have an incredible woman on the line. She's a mom. She's a midwife. I love what she's doing. She's really trying to bring this open and honest conversation about birth and labor and breastfeeding and just how much goes into everything before you even truly become a mother and what birth is like and all that. And she is known as the honest midwife. Louise, how are you? I'm fine, thank you. How are you? Good, thank you. Thank you so much for being here. It's great to be here. Yes. And if you guys can't tell her lovely accent, she's across the pond. So she's on the line with me. <laughs> I am. Across the pond. I wish I
0: was there in person. I love it over there. <laughs> the weather is hideous. Is it? Yes. It's raining.
1: Uh, well, I kind of would take the rain today to be honest, because it's been a hundred degrees in California and like, not to complain about the sunshine, but like mama is ready for a little bit less sunshine. It has been so hot, so
0: humid. It is exhausting. Ali, you are talking to the wrong person about me. <laughs> I need some sunshine. I really we need really some sunshine. Sunshine. We sunshine. We can, we can swap. <laughs> yes. Let's do a house swap. You can have my... Exactly. I love it. I'm all about it. A house swap. <laughs> that sounds
1: fabulous to me. Well, thank you so much for being on. You're a mom too, as I said. How old um, is your little one?
0: My little one is 11. She started secondary school, so your equivalent of high school this week. And my eldest is 16.
1: Wow,
0: congrats on them uh, getting back into their,
1: you know, next year school and everything. That's very exciting. Yeah, they're all still alive. Good. <laughs> yep, all still alive. You're surviving. I love it. I think you've been fed. You're good. Exactly. We're good. Well, thank you again so much for being on. You know, honestly, you caught my eye on social media because you are so honest about you know and how passionate you are about birth and labor. And you know, just to give a little um, you know backstory of my listeners, you know, L- Louise Broadbridge is a senior midwife. She talks all about birth and baby. She f- founded that company in 2017. But she has been a midwife for quite some time and we'll get into all that. Basically, her passion and her mission, everything she is trying to do is around birth and labor and being a mother and how things need to be, you know, discussed more and vocalized more and more support and safety and just so many things that go into all this that so many people don't want to talk about and I just love that you are trying to create this noise and bring more support to others and that's why I was like you have to come on so will you tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of how you became a midwife and everything before
0: I ask you some questions uh so yeah so prior to being a midwife I've worked in the health um, sort of industry for all my working life so over 20 years and I decided that I wanted to be much more um clinical and being with families rather than sort of facilitating that and so I decided to do my training to be a midwife um which I love but I found that working within the health service was frustrating in the fact that I don't know what you guys know about our health system but there's lots of guidelines lots of rules regulations the same in any health place and I felt so frustrated for couples coming into um, the hospitals and I just felt that they were so ill-prepared for what was going on that there were so many you know a lot of people setting up their own antenatal classes that have this view that everybody can have a natural birth, so the idea that you don't need pain relief, you don't need this, that your body will open like a flower <laughs> and it all sounds so amazing. But then, for a big percentage of couples, they come into the hospital and it just isn't like that for them. That they, there is this deviation away from that sort of straight down the line ideal scenario. And also, I felt that partners were really left by the wayside and so we sort of invite partners into the birthing room now but don't actually do a huge amount to support them and prepare them so that was one of the reasons why I set up the business because I wanted to provide antenatal classes that talked about an unexpected home birth and a cesarean section and an epidural and an episiotomy and forceps delivery because all these things were possibilities for everybody and we just weren't talking about it um, and the other thing I felt was that we were so idealistic. I think we really desperately want people to breastfeed. But because of that, we we teach about it as if it is this wonderful experience, which it can be. But it takes time with any skill. It's hard. And I think if we really taught new parents the physiology behind breastfeeding and how it actually works and really prepared them for the struggle, then they would not stop doing it because they thought they couldn't do it. They would understand the process. So I just wanted to be much more honest and much more open. And then the final bit of that, I suppose is really getting couples to think about before their baby arrives. What is the downside of having a baby? Because when you find out you're having a baby, everybody jumps up and down and says, congratulations, how wonderful, but nobody actually says, look, you need to sit down and think about this. Think about, what it's going to do for your relationship and how can you work with each other to help each other say you're struggling on a particular day. So I think like you said in the beginning, it was just about being, let's be a bit more honest about the fact that actually this can be a really bumpy ride. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You could say that again. (laughs) It's not a ride that we don't want to get on. And I don't think that by being honest and open, it will stop anybody having children it's within us to want that but I think to be able to say you know this is going to rock the foundation of your relationship in a good way but it it, you can't bring a baby into a relationship without your relationship changing right and so I suppose I just wanted to talk about all those things
1: and I love that and I think that that's
0: you know, really
1: important because like, even what you just said about breastfeeding that truly spoke to me because, you know, I told you offline here that I went through, you know, after a 42 hour birth, I wound up in a C-section and my milk didn't drop for, you know, almost 10 days. And I was losing my mind trying to figure out why I couldn't breastfeed. And then after my milk came in, I still couldn't get Amelia to latch for the first, you know, few weeks and it was on, it was off and it was horrible. And I was ready to quit. And I felt so like, a failure and so inadequate and just so unprepared. And I even had, you know, a doula and, you know, and a midwife, thank God helping me. And they got me a lactation expert and the whole thing. And I still felt like, you know, a failure and unprepared and felt like, oh my gosh, why can't I do this? And now 17 months later, I'm still breastfeeding and I never in a million years thought I would be breastfeeding till now nor would it be an actual magical journey that it is now and something I actually look forward to because before I completely dreaded it and I was ready to quit
0: and it's bizarre isn't it because I, as I said I've got two children and my son who's my eldest I breastfed him for three weeks and then I have to be honest Ali I could have quite merrily drop kicked him out of the window <laughs> I, Beyond, I, but I came from a non-breastfeeding family that had ne- my mummy's one of nine. None of her siblings had been breastfed. None of them had breastfed their children. So my mum was very much like, well, I'll just give him a bottle. So I did. And then when I had Isabel, I breastfed her till she was two. And I was like you. I was not one of those mums that was would ever have anticipated that I would have breastfed her for as long as I did. And I see two year olds now and think, no, no, I didn't feed her till she was that size. But it, like you said, it was one of the most amazing things i did but i don't regret forming a feeding jack because it was the right decision for me at the time right for, for the knowledge that i had and the um the support i had that was the right decision for me then if i had another child i would definitely breastfeed but i think our circumstances change our knowledge changes and our resilience changes and sometimes it's just not right. And other times it is.
1: Right. And I appreciate you being so honest, especially as a midwife saying like, Hey, I did, you know, formula feed my son and it's totally okay. And I did breastfeed my daughter and it was longer than I expected. And it's totally okay. And I think that's what it comes down to, right? It's like so much of this is like the mom shame and the constant judgment and what are you doing? And what's this one doing? And it's like, we're all just trying to survive. We're all just trying to do what we feel is best for our little one because we birthed them and we're raising them. And I appreciate that you said that because it's beautifully said how you said it was what was right for you in both circumstances. And look how different it was in both circumstances.
0: And the funny thing is, is that actually, out of the two children, if you look at Jack, he was—I mean, he was breastfed for three weeks, but predominantly he was formula-fed. He is very uh, fit. He's much more health-conscious, I would say, than her, and um, is often on the go. She, bless her, she's lovely and adorable, but she's much lazier than Jack. <laughs> um, she often has a sore throat she will always she's like her mother she'll grab a packet of crisps before she grabs an apple so the end result of the two children doesn't necessarily fit the the media hype around the whole breastfeeding benefits and I think when it comes down to why you breastfeed or don't breastfeed I don't think the reasons come down to any one particular thing um I think it's something that's either right or wrong at the time. And I will do home visits with one mum and and assess how that mum is doing and the messages she's saying. And it may be that together we come to the conclusion that actually at this particular time, formula feeding is the way for her to enjoy her baby. And I could do another home visit on the same day with a different mum. And we both say, yes, come on, let's keep on going. And both things are right for the mums at the time. Right. And ultimately it's got to be about enjoying your baby. Oh,
1: absolutely. Yes. And, and I completely agree with that. And, you know, I, again, looking at my journey with breastfeeding and everything, I think why I still am now is like I said, because it's so magical and I look forward to it and it's this bonding. And because she's older now too, it's not as much as it used to be and it's not demanding and I'm not pumping and, it, you know, it's not this wild beast that it used to be, but it, you know, it's like now it's like what you said, it's magical. It's something I never expected. And, you know, I, I guess I judged before I was a mom because I didn't know. And I would be like, oh my gosh, they breastfed till when? And now I'm like, wow, I'm technically that mom. And honestly, I don't care because this is what's right for me. It's what's right for Amelia. And it just feels like good. Like I love the bonding. I appreciate it. And You know, it's, I mean, for her, knock on wood, she has not been sick once since, you know, um, you know, since she was a baby, she had one tiny little cold around four months and it was gone within like 24 hours. And my pediatrician was like, you know, just breastfeed her through it, you know, even more so, even though you're going to be exhausted, just breastfeed. And I did see, you know, the, um. Of results of that and the actual, you know, uh, implications to her um, from what I was doing, and I do believe, you know, for her personally, her immune system is very strong, and she is just a strong, you know, physically strong being because of it. But again, that's what works for myself and my family, and me as a mother.
0: Yeah, and it, and in all honesty, Ali, it's nobody else's business, is it? It's your right. business, and it's right. your little girl, and it's what's right for you and your family, and. And I was very much the same with Isabel. She was never poorly, ever. And the final thing was she actually, literally about two days before her second birthday, she had a tummy bug and she never fed again. Really? And that was her choice. She had this tummy bug for 24 hours, the first time she'd ever been sick. And that was it. She never went back to the breast. And in some ways it was good because I'd got to the point where I was like, right, tonight will be the last feed, but I couldn't let it go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so she made the decision for
1: me. Yeah, that's kind of nice. I'm kind of, to be honest, like not that I'm wishing it away tomorrow, but I'm kind of just hoping when it is the right time that Amelia will choose to pull away in her own way. And I won't have to make the decision because I know a lot of moms who have had to. And I can imagine that's very hard on the emotions in the mother. So I do hope when it's meant to be, my daughter will do something similar like yours.
0: Yeah, I think the thing was, it was that whole... This is the last thing. And, and that I think that's what kept me going for so long is the fact that I just couldn't make that. I couldn't rip that plaster off. I, right. but she did it in the end anyway.
1: Right. Yeah. It's no, I mean, you know, good for you to share that. Cause I think a lot of moms, You know, moms to be, again, need to hear that. There's so much, you know, pressure with breastfeeding, but then there's also so much shame with formula feeding. And then there's shame with breastfeeding too long. And, you know, it's like this constant, like, I look at all these different things and I'm like, oh my gosh, of course we're losing our minds. It's a constant, like, do this, but don't do that. And then do that. And don't do that. And it's like like you just said, it's what's best for you and your family and you being a midwife and being out there in the field and dealing with different moms and giving them all different advice based on what's going on with them that's the most important part.
0: I mean, I think one advice that I always give to people is that if you, cause some people are very, when they, when they're making their choices about feeding, they're a bit, well, I'm going to give it a go and I'm going to see how it goes. And, and that's perfect. That's fine. But then if you're a bit like me, when I had Isabel, I was absolutely determined. And I think, one of the best things, there's two things that you can do if you really sort of think I really want to do this. The first is colostrum harvest, which is basically collecting some of your colostrum before your baby's born and freezing it. And the second is really get somebody that's an expert in breastfeeding to teach you about the physiology of it. Because yeah. the can
1: you who... explain the colostrum harvest? I've never heard this before.
0: You've never heard this before. So so the first milk that we provide is colostrum. Right. Uh, the, the really yellow I've heard of colostrum
1: because I so had to it's... give that to Amelia when I wasn't able to have her latch and wasn't able to breastfeed in the beginning, and I had just dropped my milk the first ten days. I was pumping that and then my husband was putting that into a Doppler and feeding her.
0: Yeah. So If we think what we class as a normal time for a baby to be born is between 37 weeks and 42, yeah? Yeah. But because nature knows that we can't be specific as to when this baby's going to be born, it doesn't have mums walking around with pints of milk, which is why there's a delay. But there is the colostrum. So from 37 weeks, expectant mums can start hand-expressing into little syringes and freezing it. Oh, wow. So that when your baby's born, and I've got some mums that have had, they've managed to get like 100 syringes, so 101 mil syringes of colostrum. And then when their baby's born, if they have problems with latching or they have, um, that their baby won't open its mouth, um, there's various problems like you, you know, yourself, you encountered. Absolutely. You can get pressure from midwives and health professionals to give top-ups because they're concerned that your baby's not getting anything. So you could give some of the colostrum instead of formula, which will interrupt that natural cycle. Then when you get to those days, which I'm sure you remember well, where your baby really calls cluster feeding, so days where the baby just relentlessly feeds. Oh, yes. (laughs) Oh, yes. So those days are actually a lot of mums give up on those days because they their feeling is that they they don't have a good milk supply they're not satisfying the baby but actually those days are a sign that your breastfeeding is going really well because what's happened is your baby's grown and so it's demanding from your body that it produces different milk so the composition so what your milk's made up of changes over time to meet the needs of your baby so if we analysed your milk on day seven and then analysed it on day 30, you would have more proteins, fats, carbohydrates. The, the ratio changes as your baby gets older and demands more. But on these days that are so tough where you pass the baby to your partner and say, I just, just need half an hour and you go, "He," they go downstairs and you can hear the baby crying. Again, rather than give formula or or them struggle with the baby, they could give a little bit of the colostrum. So it's a bit like the gift that keeps on giving. Wow. And, and it's just in your freezer. And the confidence that it gives new parents going into breastfeeding is amazing.
1: I bet. I wish someone had told me about that. I mean, I started pumping, you know, as soon as I got home, um, you know, from the hospital and I, you know, was trying to get something and my milk hadn't dropped and they were like, okay, listen, my midwife, my doctor, my doula, everybody was like on the same page and was like, all right, let's not pump extreme because we don't want to like, you know, drain you and everything, but let's just do a little bit to get it going and send a signal like, hey, the baby's here since your milk hasn't dropped. And that's when I, you know, started getting a little bits of colostrum. And then Justin, my husband was feeding her, you know, with the Doppler with that. But had I known I could have done that, yeah beforehand that would and have been such a is, relief
0: because Did everybody say to you ali when you're expressing i know it's a pain but get up in the middle of the night and do it when everybody is quiet everybody's calm there's nobody around you because women will often say well when i pump i don't get a lot of milk and that's because one pumping is it's an alien thing to us isn't it it's not it's not a it's like i could breastfeed in front in public in front of anybody could i breast could i breast pump in front of anybody no way and that inhibition in ourselves will restrict our milk so expressing during the night is going to be much more time efficient for you so you may get 100 million 25 minutes during the day you may get 100 million 10 minutes during the night because we produce our best milk at night oh. And this is why I say to people that are determined to breastfeed, really find out the physiology of how the processes work. Because then you can recognize what's happening when and adjust your routine to suit it.
1: Yeah, no, that's incredible. And like, I wish I had had that tip when I first had her because, oh my gosh, it was just such a crazy scene, you know, getting home, she's screaming after we've, you know, left the hospital, we call the hospital to ask the nurses, you know, what to do, because she's screaming, and you know, we're new parents, and we're frantic. And they literally brush us off like nothing. And we're like, we were just there like 10 minutes ago. And they're like, sorry, you've been discharged. Like, thank God, I have my midwife and doula that were able to like step in and make phone calls and, you know, find me a lactation, you know, team and everything to come and, you know, make me feel better and comforted and everything. But I just remember, of like sitting there and going, oh my gosh, I can't even, you know, feed her and I'm not getting any milk and this is crazy. And what do I do? And I'm like trying to pump like crazy and I'm trying to figure out how to work my pump and all these things that it makes you so anxious and so nervous and you feel like such a failure and so down on yourself that it makes you want to give up before you've even started.
0: Absolutely. And it's frightening. You know, you've got this tiny person that is screaming for food and you're, you feel like you're starving this baby. But actually we all need to sort of midwives and and health people need to help parents to really relax and chill out because as long as our babies are born, you know, they're healthy, healthy weights. This is healthy weight, baby. There is this expectation of a lean period. That's why they lose this weight. Um, and really relaxing the mom is the best way forward. Right. Because, You need to be relaxed as much as possible for your body to produce the milk.
1: Um, Yeah, I mean,
0: it's a a really complex issue, and I think sadly we don't have the resources, I'm sure, either in America or the UK. Oh, no,
1: not at all. Yeah, Mm -hmm.
0: to really give the support that's needed. Um, but I think you know, good groups that really sit with women and Listen and watch and watch these babies as they're feeding would make a huge difference. And, like you said, you were in a good position that you had that extra support outside of the hospital.
1: Yes, thank God, because they had my lactation team come. I still talk to them this day, like they're still friends. You know, Goldilocks and they were amazing and they, you know, came over and were showing me what to do and you know, giving me tricks of like hips and lips and line this up and do this and you know, and then I, you know, I'd get her on for a minute and then, you know, she'd fall off and they they would re-encourage me. It's okay. You got her on. She actually latched. I mean, she can latch and you know, just little, you know, comforts and just little bits of encouragement goes a long way. And then finally you know, after a month or some time, you know, she was latching for the most part. And then after a couple of months in, it became, you know, a little bit easier, but I still had moments where I would get clogged and then I'd be in pain or I get close to getting mastitis and then they helped me work through that. And then I think to your point, having those people around you, having that team, having that support is what makes all the difference because you already feel so freaking alone in motherhood.
0: Yeah. And, and I think, that's, that's the mums who have really good partners. You still feel on your own with it. And I think as well, there's this big thing at the minute that I hear all the time about wanting to give formula so that dads can be involved. And I, and I get that. I, I get that desire from these these great dads, but actually the best way for them to be involved for a mum who wants to, for, to breastfeed is to look after the mum. And actually, if we go back to evolution, that's the whole design. The the male of our species is to look after the mother and the mother's role is to look after the baby. Right. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that we should all be um clubbed over the head by Captain Caveman and I think we've <laughs> made we've made great moves, but actually in supporting it if you really want to breastfeed exclusively the support that dads can give in that can be invaluable even if it's just them getting up at three in the morning to sit with you that's that to me is being involved
1: absolutely and I think that's a really great point and you know my husband was amazing I mean he still is but like especially when she was little and I could barely move because of my c-section he was up with her bathing her constantly you know rocking her, making sure she was okay. So I could get some sleep and taking her and doing what he had to do, especially the first few weeks when, you know, he was home with me and everything. And it was so crucial and it definitely helped me. And then again, you know, because I did pump quite a bit of claustrum, he was able to feed her, you know, with the Doppler. And then once I was producing enough milk and I would want to break myself, then that's when he got those moments with her and he would get to give her a bottle with my breast milk.
0: And having a section is hard as well. I mean, you know, you know, it, it takes some getting over.
1: Oh my gosh, that was so traumatic.
0: Do you feel traumatized by it? I do. That's such a shame.
1: Yeah, I do. And you know, I. I, um, I, you know, my doctor was amazing and I wouldn't say it was him. I just think it was the whole thing. You know, I, I know you've read a little bit about my birth from online and stuff, but you know, I had, you know, I originally had the plan, which I've learned, you know, you should make plans when it comes to birth, but I'm very stubborn, you know, I'm originally from New York. I'm a stubborn New Yorker and I wanted a birth plan and I had a midwife and I, you know, had an idea of what I wanted with a natural birth at my birth center in a tub because I felt connected to my daughter in the water from the minute I got pregnant. I was always in the tub and I just felt this constant like, you know, yearning to be in the water. And so that was what I wanted to do. You know, I did the, um, the hypno birth, you know, um, series and, and practicing and I went to a bunch of different classes and you know, I thought to myself, okay, like I've got this, but a backstory basically before that happened, I had a uh, regular, you know, doctor, OBGYN, and she was originally who was going to deliver my daughter. And her father, sadly, was very sick, and she had to tap out of my delivery. And that was, like, pretty far in. Like, I think I was almost 30 weeks. And she was like, I'm so sorry. Like, I'm not going to – I don't want to, like, leave you with some random person. Like, I'm not going to be, you know, in town. And she had been, you know – even though she wasn't OBGYN, she, especially being in California, she does Reiki and we really connected and she had just understood where I was coming from. And she was going to let me labor at home until I couldn't. And, you know, we had a lot of different conversations where it was like, okay, you'll be at a hospital, but like, we're going to make things as comfortable as we can for you from home to the hospital. So you get to kind of have best of both worlds as much as possible, you know, realistically. And so that was what originally was supposed to be with my doctor. And then she had to say, I'm really, sorry, but I might not be around, you know, for your birth. And she tried to introduce me to a few people. I just didn't have a good feeling. I always have to go with my gut and I didn't. And so that was when I sought out to find a midwife. And it was something I had thought about my whole birth was having a midwife. But to be quite honest, my own parents love them to death. They're my parents, but they didn't feel comfortable because on their first form, it's not normal to them. You know, it's not as known as it should be. And it was a fear thing for them. So they kind of in a sense, scared me out of it in the beginning and made me just go the, you know, doctor route when I should have kind of probably just stuck with my gut from the beginning of what I wanted. And so then fast forward, you know, after all that happened, I went along with this new midwife and I really liked her and connected with her, um, of, Push um, midwifery, and my doula knew her, um, and so she was fantastic, Alexis Haynes, and so she, you know, was like, you should work with her, Robin. She's great. They had had a relationship. I met her. It felt great, you know. I signed on, and I was late getting into, you know, her program. You know, she even said to me, "Hey, listen, you know, I'm taking you on." Kind of at the end of when I normally would take my mother's on. But if this is something you really want, then I'll do my best to make sure that, you know, we get you the birth, hopefully that you want, you know, obviously God willing, you things go along and your baby and everything else. And so come time to, you know, when I went into labor and everything, I labored at home for a while, my duo was here, go to the birth center, you know, I'm laboring there for quite some time. And um, I got to about 30 or so hours and um, they, Robin had me get in the tub and had said to me, okay, we're getting kind of close to like where you should be feeling like you should push. So I started trying to push, but I really wasn't feeling anything. And I wasn't feeling the sensation that she's telling me I should feel and my doula is telling me I should feel. And she looks at me and she's like, okay, I'll be right back. And I guess at that point, she had made a phone call to my backup doctor who she works with um, over at the hospital by here, Dr. Poliakin, and had told him what was going on and decided that I was going to need interventions. And so, of course, when they came and told me when I was in the tub that I was going to need interventions, that was quite disappointing, obviously, in itself, because I felt like, oh, my gosh, why can't I have the birth that I want? Why is this not happening? And I just felt like in that moment, like, so upset and discouraged, and, you know, my husband turned to me and was like, listen, they just want you and Amelia to be safe. You know, nothing is in emergency. Thank God. So like, we can just go over there. We don't have to like go crazy, but like, we need to go over there. And so we went over to the hospital, checked me in and I was still progressing, but just slowly. And my, I think I was at almost eight centimeters at this point. And my doctor said, Hey, I know you didn't want to see me, but here I am, you know, and, uh, I'm going to do my best to, you know, get, you know, this baby out soon and, you know, at least try to stick with your, you know, natural birth plan. So, I continued to labor without drugs and after a few more hours Amelia was not coming down fully. She was like, I guess they could see her head somewhat. They could see that she had dark hair, um, but they couldn't really, you know, get much else. And he tried to grab her and she shot back up stubbornly. And he said, listen, um, I think we have to kind of look at your birth plan and say, we might need some interventions here. Let's get you, you know, some Pitocin. So I got a Pitocin. And of course, you know, you know, obviously as a midwife, how painful that can be. Yeah. And so that was really hard for me. And I was trying to really breathe through it, but I was having a really hard time. And Amelia was really not cooperating and coming down like they thought she would, because he thought, hey, we'll kind of, a, in a sense, give her a kick and torpedo her out. And it wasn't happening. So at that point, I couldn't really handle the pain anymore. So I was put on an epidural. And I don't know what it was with the epidural, but I felt so sick. And I, you know, did get sick. Um, and, um, I just didn't feel good at all. And it continued to just kind of slow things down. And before I knew it, we were still really pushing and trying and we were 40 hours or so shy. And my doctor came in and said, Hey, listen, you know, what do you want to do? I, you know, I don't really know if she's going to come out the way you would like her to, I'm still trying for you, but it's not looking that way. And of course, at that point I was devastated and exhausted And I turned to Justin and I was like, I don't know what to do. I want to keep going. And he was like, listen, you can keep going because she's safe and you're safe. So if you want to keep pushing babe, by all means, but like, if you want to meet her right now, like I'm, I'm not going to like think anything different of you. Like you've been a warrior. And like, I told you from the minute this started, like you could do whatever you wanted. There was no pressure. This was your choice. And you know, whatever you want to do. And of course, when he said, well, don't you want to meet her now? I started bawling my eyes out and I was like, okay, yeah, I'll meet her now, you know, and got super emotional. And then that's when they prepped me for the OR um, and then, you know, began the C-section. So I honestly, um, I don't know if it was the trauma of the C-section along with the fact that my birth was quite traumatic or if it was because I really didn't want the C-section. I honestly really couldn't tell you.
0: I think one of the ways to look at this, and it's quite a harsh reality to face in a world that when you go to certain classes, like you said, you know, you you had a plan, you'd gone to your hypnobirthing. Um but I think it's also important when you're thinking about a birth plan to acknowledge that over centuries over thousands of years we've evolved and because we are the most sophisticated species or the most arrogant but you know we are very very clever and as a result of that amazingly women and babies don't now die in childbirth the way that they used to do you know years ago it was quite common and so to a certain degree we've almost outwitted natural selection um But in doing that and being able to have these interventions, we have to accept that actually, despite what a lot of these classes say, that everybody can have a natural birth, everybody can't have a natural birth. And when I've seen you online, you're a very little person, aren't you? (laughs) I'm five foot. You're tiny. And how tall is your husband?
1: Uh, My husband's about like five, nine ish.
0: Okay. So he's not massive. God bless him. Sorry. I'm not saying that you're short. But, oh no. You know, yeah. Yeah. No, no, He's definitely yeah. not like majorly tall. Absolutely he's not, not majorly tall, but you know, there are, and I, like I said, I had a, an emergency cesarean with my son and I didn't even get to pushing. I didn't get to fully dilated. I had a very long lab like yourself, just, well, just 36 hours. And then I had an emergency cesarean, but I, I know that I'm one of those women who, couldn't do it naturally for whatever reason I just didn't dilate and so I have to marvel at the fact that we have these interventions available that kept me and my baby safe right as much as I would have loved to have had that natural birth I would have done um but then I think like you I just felt second time around I didn't want to go through that again so I went for an elective caesarean. Now, would I, I don't know whether I would make that same decision now. I don't know. But at the time, again, it was the right decision for me at the time. And sure. having an electric cesarean was, was lovely.
1: Right. Yeah, no. And I mean, again, like I learned obviously going through that, that like you said, like the harsh reality is things are not always going to be what you think they're going to be or what maybe they seem. And also for me, I felt like in some way, shape or form, it was some kind of lesson for me of like, hey, uh, welcome to motherhood. This is not what you think it's going to be, you know? Um, And uh, How
0: awful that you felt traumatized and disappointed almost.
1: Yes. Oh, absolutely. I felt all those emotions. And I believe that that's what heavily contributed to my postpartum depression is the fact yeah. that-
0: I mean I had I suffered with postnatal depression after Jack, but I didn't with Isabel. Really? Yeah, it's strange, isn't it? I yeah, I didn't have the say I still struggle a bit from time to time now. Um and I do take regular antidepressants. Um but that's taken me a long time to accept that I need and so I'd say it's only the last eighteen months that I've really committed to taking them. And I actually say I feel great for doing it. Um but no after Jack I suffered terribly. But not wow. with her. But not with her.
1: See, and that's nice to hear too, because as I think about baby number two, I'm like, oh my gosh, I pray that that's not going to, you know, ha- you know, like happen again and go through that. And so it's kind of nice to hear that like, hey, I went through it with the first one, but not the second one.
0: But you think, Ali, when you look at your life before you had your little girl, your life now is probably completely unrecognizable. Oh, Absolutely. Pre- you think about having another baby now, nothing will really change. You'll just have another person in the house. Right. Your second baby is so lovely because they just slot into the chaos. (laughs) They learn pretty quickly that they are not the center of the universe. Whereas your first baby is the center of the universe because you can devote that time. Baby number two comes in. It's like, well, they're just going to have to cry because baby number one's wanting her dinner. And... You know, you're not getting used to going out with void on your shoulder because you've already got ketchup down your trousers. It's just, and it's so <laughs> lovely because so much it's so much more laid back on your second one. Your house is a tip anyway, right? So enjoy your second and look forward to your second. Right. No,
1: yeah, that's, that's good advice. And, 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 and very, you know, very, very well said. And I, I appreciate that. And I mean, you know, for someone, you know, like you, who is a midwife, you know, what advice would you have for me for a second birth? Because I, you know, we are talking about baby number two in the near future. And, you know, I do think I want to try for a natural birth again, you know, maybe not necessarily a uh, birth center, because of the way things went down the first time for me, and because of just for medical and safety. But I do want to try a VBAC, you know, vaginal um, after yeah. section. And um, I'm trying to already think now to essentially be somewhat prepared to, you know, maybe have that chance. I'm aware that it might not work out that way, but I would like for my own self and my own healing to at least try.
0: Yeah. And I think, I think there's two things. I think the likelihood is that you will dilate far quicker because you've already dilated before. And did you say your daughter's Olivia? Um, Amelia. Amelia, sorry. No worries. Um, Amelia's only 17 months old. So it's not that long since you last you know, it's not, you're not playing on having a big gap. Um, so I think it's perfectly reasonable. I think the other thing to wonder is... You obviously got to fully dilated, so you got to the pushing stage. There's varying factors as to why she didn't come down. It could have just been that she was in an awkward position. You know, she she may have not had her head completely tucked in, so it could have actually been not Amelia's fault as such, but it could have been a position that she got herself into that baby number two didn't didn't get themselves into. So I think you're quite right to try again, and I think hypnobirthing is great i think it has some really really brilliant principles and i think just like you said being open to like you already sounded open you your, are you said to me gonna go you know for it i'd like to have a go i'm not sure what's going to happen if it doesn't happen that's fine so already your expectations are different to what they were the first time round. so if you go you give it a, a try and you end up with the cesarean I don't think you'll be as disappointed as you were the first time around because part of you will possibly be expecting it. But right. I I don't think that you've got, I, I think you've got a really good chance of delivering naturally a second time around because it sounds to me like the, the issue was with position. That would be my guess that it was a positional problem.
1: Well, thank you for that. Yeah. And I mean, she was, um, head down for the most part to, at the end, um, of my, you know, uh, pre, you know, I guess, Pregnancy before I went into labor, um, but my doctor and midwife both did say she did flip a little bit um, when it came time, and also, um, you know, she was eight pounds, um, seven ounces, twenty-one inches long. Like you said, I'm pretty small, and um, you know, he thinks it was a combination potentially of position and the fact that she was quite big, and it just yeah, yeah. didn't didn't leave room for much error for me.
0: No and i think it, that sounds like really good a really good analysis and i think you know as your pregnancy progresses the second time round keeping an eye on the size of the baby um you know working out if the baby's in an optimal position before you try um but like you said you know you you've got to give it a try for your own peace of mind i suppose yes um and i i think a lot of women do successfully have a back delivery um, and i god glad they've tried. Right. And equally, a lot of women just don't feel um, that they want to do it again and they go for an elective cesarean. And I think both are right for each individual woman.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, it's whatever feels right to that, that woman and that mother um, in that you know time and in that moment.
0: And I I appreciate one thing to consider as well with regards to cesareans and elective cesareans. I don't know whether you saw I put a post up today, which was just a video of a couple having their baby by cesarean and watching the video. It was no less beautiful than watching a couple having a vaginal delivery. Um, And I think it can still be completely beautiful.
1: Well, I appreciate you saying that because I think that a lot of times, especially with media and everyone talking about things, it's like, oh, they just cut you open. It's like that alone being said, I mean, even to this day, really like shakes my brain and my emotions and everything. And when I look at my scar, sometimes I cry because I remember that. And so I think it's really important of
0: what you said that it can be beautiful as well. And I think look at that scar and remember that it it saved your baby's life.
1: Right. Yep. That's
0: the way to look at it is the fact that she wasn't coming for whatever reason, she'd chosen her own path and it wasn't to come out the way you wanted it to be. And she'll probably do that all of her life. Do yep. oh, that yes. you? Oh, yes. I've already seen. Uh huh. Yep. Yep. Everything is her way, and that was her way, right? And so, oh, maybe look at it like that your baby will choose, right? Very not your true
1: yeah very true well it's funny because when we like get her dressed she still fusses when you put anything over her head and we joke that she's traumatized by trying to come down and he's my husband will be like see she just didn't want to and like what you know we'll laugh it off but it's true they do choose their birth yeah I think they do yeah
0: I think they do yeah and you know my two my daughter's been jumping outside the door she wants to come in <laughs> my son's downstairs eating crisps and doing whatever he's doing they're, they're healthy happy kids they don't care how they got here right they do not care
1: so so wonderfully said that i mean that's so true and on the note of the cesarean can you talk for a minute here about you sent me that amazing video i believe it was on daily mail of the natural um C-section. That's something, I guess, newer on your side of the world in the UK. Could you talk a little bit about that? I'll put it also in the show notes so people can see what we're talking about.
0: Yeah. So I think it's called a gentle section. It's referred to as a gentle section. And I think the idea is to make it much more inclusive of the parents. Now, I think it's a very individual choice as to whether you would want that. Um, the, The principle behind it is that parents are much more able to see what's going on um, so the the drape that's that shields you from that is still up until the point the baby starts to come out and then they lower the, the, the drape down and rather than just sort of pulling the baby out if you will they they allow the baby's head to be born and then allow slow movement of the baby so that the baby almost births itself So it's just much slower, much gentler. So it would be definitely um, an option in an elective caesarean, maybe not so much in an emergency where they were sort of wanting to get the baby out quicker for any reason. Um, And it's about sort of facilitating skin to skin immediately afterwards, the delayed cord clamping, having uh, music on in the OR, um, just making it a much more, sort of inclusive environment i mean i know whenever i do cesarean sections for couples we have the radio on um in the hospital i work in and we usually have it on like quite a smooth radio station and whilst i'm doing various things i note down each song that is played so at the end of the the procedure i'll hand them a little card that says this is your baby's playlist as your baby was born Oh, um, so it's just those little things that take away that feeling of this was very clinical um, in an alien environment. I think it's like encouraging people to bring their own playlists into the OR so they can listen to their music. Um, so yeah, it's just it's just a much gentler approach to a cesarean section. I mean, I have seen um, cases where actually dads or partners have been allowed to reach down and actually help the baby from the abdomen. Now, whether that would be allowed to be facilitated in all units, I'm not so sure.
1: Right. Yeah, no, but I mean, at least there are more and more of these options and involving the partner and also having a different type of C-section and birth. And is that, do you know, is that only over in the UK right now or is that something the US is coming into?
0: Do you know what, Ali? I'm not 100% sure, but I have to be honest. Generally, the UK follows the US, not the other way around. Um, We're usually behind you guys on most things, but then you said you hadn't heard of the colostrum harvesting.
1: Yeah, unless maybe I'm just out of the loop when it comes to that. Maybe there is that and I just didn't know. I'll
0: have to do some further research. I think in America, you're much more obstetric-led in terms of deliveries? Do, do the doctors not normally deliver the babies in America? Uh,
1: no, I mean, it, it depends. I mean, you know, in some cases it's, it's a nurse. In other cases, um, you know, it is a doctor. I mean, I think in most cases it's usually the doctor that's um, – been you know scheduled or has been working with that mother of course there's some circumstances where the doctor's not available and they have another doctor step in and then of course there are people like myself who opt for a midwife and then the midwife does the delivery if you know if your body allows that
0: yeah see in the UK unless there is a specific complex reason midwives deliver all the babies oh really yeah so uh, yeah. I mean if you've got a um a high-risk pregnancy, you would still have the midwife as the main carer, and she would bring the doctors in if she felt she needed them. So if they have a forceps or a vontu a so suction delivery, obviously the doctors would do that, but vaginal deliveries are generally done by the midwives. Oh, how interesting.
1: Yeah, see, and, that, and that's not, you know, here at all. I mean, first off, um, several hospitals don't even allow midwives here. We're actually just starting to see more and more hospitals start to have midwife programs where you can have a midwife, uh, you know, present and in there and a part of the entire birth and labor and situation. So in that sense, I would say we're behind.
0: Every country, every hospital in the country, every single hospital in the country has a midwife department. Yeah. See, that's amazing. So we all, so even on the high risk, each room each laboring woman has a midwife and we will look after those women and monitor all the heartbeat and everything and if we feel we need it we will then go to the doctor and say could you come in and have a little look but if we don't go to them they won't come in
1: okay very. they'll come
0: in and introduce in the beginning of the shift they'll come in they'll introduce themselves they'll know what's going on in all of those rooms but unless unless we sort of call for their intervention they we we we're autonomous in our practice and we do a lot of the suturing as well so if you have any tears or anything like that the midwives repair them
1: wow that's that's pretty amazing
0: very different yeah
1: but also very amazing and empowering for the midwives and to also show that like you know that is something quite normal in other places and it's not something to necessarily be feared which i wanted to speak on before i you know let you go um I wanted you to just talk a little bit about, I think, like, the fear that is behind um, a lot of what birth and and, and labor actually is and just being you as a midwife, you know, your perspective and your thoughts on that because, again, like, even in my situation, like, so many of my friends and family did fear things for me. And I think, of course, I contributed to a part of it too, because, you know, you can't help but take on some of the things that people say. And the more research I've done after my birth, and the more I've just done in general, being a mom now, the more I see like, just how much fear is behind that and how there doesn't have to be.
0: I think it's a really good point that it is surrounded by fear but i think we need to look back historically at why that is because if you look at all of the species on the planet considering we're supposed to be the most intelligent i'd like to bet that cats dogs polar bears all other animals don't sit around and teach each other about birth (laughs) they they have this instinctive is inbuilt in them to just go away and, and birth and do it and i think what's happened with us is the fact that because we are so intelligent we we have given ourselves the ability to reduce the poor outcomes but in doing so we frightened ourselves we women have stopped becoming confident in their body's abilities to birth they've become frightened of birth and so i think the what we need to do right across the board is stop this idealistic view of what childbirth is like for everybody. We try to fit everybody into the same square, and not everybody fits in the same square. So, if you look at all your friends, Ali, and all their birth stories, you bet your bottom dollar they've all probably had different experiences.
1: Completely.
0: Completely. So, we have to accept that across the board, everybody is going to have a varying different experience. There'll be one friend who has a three hour labor and then he's back in her size six jeans by the day after. There'll be another girl that, that ends up with an emergency cesarean and can't lose the weight for five years. And I think we need to stop trying to make everybody the same. And so when we're preparing for our, the birth of our babies, being much more driven to striving for a normal birth so not a natural birth a normal birth and a normal birth is one that sees mum and partner and baby go home well and not traumatized and I think if we prepare couples what it's like to have a natural birth what it's like to have an emergency cesarean what it's like to have forceps delivery so prepare them for all the eventualities so that at the end of the day whatever one they get they know it's normal because a normal is one that has a good outcome whether it's natural is a different matter
1: and I think that's just so perfectly put because again there's so much hype you know behind it and there's so much fear and there's just so much just Crap, to be honest, of just so much everything that it's like no wonder, like you said, we do like kind of lose our sense of confidence and we lose our, you know, sense of actual naturally being able to know we were built to do this. And this is something that we absolutely can do no matter which way that it does actually happen. So thank you for sharing that because I think a lot of people need to hear that.
0: I think it, I think it all boils down to. Our end goal is a baby in our arms well, with a, a mother that's well, and a partner that's not horrified. And I think if we were more honest about the fact that everybody's gonna have a different experience, then we would be more accepting. And
1: I'd that's what committed. it comes down to, right? Accepting. Yeah.
0: Accepting, and, and, and like for me with my babies, I don't feel robbed that I've never had a vaginal delivery. I just feel that the both times actually were amongst the most special I've ever spent with my husband, especially with Jack when I laboured for such a long time. And it was hard and it was painful and I had the drip. and But I look back and actually... I just remember it being a really special time for us and I feel really lucky to feel that way because I know that a lot of people don't feel like that way when they've had a cesarean and that's really that's that's really such a shame because actually that was just Jack's way. Right. Jack's way just the same as it was Amelia's way.
1: Yeah. Um, and and I and I'm glad that you you know did feel that way and I at least you know the first 30 hours or so that I was able to be at my birth center and be home, I at least felt like it was Justin and I, you know, with my doula and we were a team and we were laboring her down and we were getting to really share in that and, you know, do all kinds of crazy positions to get her down and laugh in that and, you know, cry in that. And all of that really was so beautiful. And, you know, my C-section in itself really wasn't, horrible because my doctor was actually amazing about getting her out quite quickly and getting her right on my chest and letting me hold her and having that skin to skin. I think it was just like you said, everything around it and the way everything played out for me and what was said to me and everything that kind of just combined and just came over almost like an avalanche of just stuff. That's where I think the trauma kind of just all, you know, started and then added in the not being able to, you know, breastfeed, not being able to move, not being able to do anything after it and having no idea what that recovery was like, I think just added to
0: so much of that trauma and
1: everything else that led into my
0: beginning of my journey. I'm so excited to hit, see, see you when you're having on number two, because I think it's going to be so much different.
1: Oh, thank you. That, that really means a lot to me because I, I try to, of course, let go of that anxiety and, and that fear as we spoke of and everything and, and not be, you know, overwhelmed by it. But it, it, you know, there is a part of me, it's like, oh my gosh, I know I want to do this again, but like, am I crazy? Because, you know, what if this ends up being something like that again? So it's really reassuring and, and really positive to hear you say especially in your field, you know, I believe it will be something different for you. And I do too. And I have to keep reminding myself that.
0: And and the other way to think is just be so proud of your daughter, that she would got such a mind of her own, that she knew how it needed to be.
1: Oh, oh, and that she does. She is an Aries through and through. And I can see that in her every day, the fire that she is and how much she already, you know, tells me where to go at 17 months old. So it's...
0: What uh, her birthday? uh april 3rd ah so she's in my son's in aries as well oh yeah so we both know i mean aries are no joke no he's never been a joke (laughs) very handsome though
1: yeah they yes and they and and they're wonderful and they're very sweet but they they definitely know how they want to run things they're definitely fire and they definitely know what they want like you said and you know for her and jack it was their births. They knew what they wanted from the beginning. Well, this has been amazing. Louise. I really appreciate you sharing so much information.
0: Is there anything else that you'd want to
1: leave us with or share before I let you go?
0: No, I think only to say that the most important thing is to enjoy your babies and whatever decision you make that allows you to enjoy your babies is the right decision.
1: I love that. And that's just like, can't be said and heard enough and uh will you please let us know where we can find you on social and your business and everything
0: yeah so i am at the honest midwife um yeah there really i mean the the website um is really for my local antenatal classes so if we've got people in the uk you can look at let's talk birth and baby um but other than that it's um the at the honest midwife and I also do a virtual midwife um service so for anybody who just wants that bit of you know reassurance throughout their pregnancy they can subscribe to that on a monthly basis and then can ask me questions throughout the week when they can't necessarily get hold of a midwife to do oh that's
1: incredible and that they can find that via your social media the honest midwife
0: yeah, there would there would be – there's a link on the bio to that, and it's on the Let's Talk Birth and Baby website. It just offers people that reassurance and continuity. You know, And in, in the early weeks when you don't have much contact with anybody, um, like I say, if they subscribe, they're able to ask me questions six days a week, and I'll come back to them within four hours. Oh, beautiful. Well, thank
1: you so much, Lise. You've been a wonderful guest. I know everyone's going to love getting to hear all of this and, you know, get to just – uh, you know the support that people need to hear and the realness behind it like you said and the honesty i truly appreciate as a new mother and everything you're doing so thank you so much and uh oh, thank you for having me it's been really yeah. lovely to chat to you <laughs> thank you cheers bye okay, bye